it was definitely rapid fire. I worked in fintech, telecommunications, airplane manufacturing, healthcare analytics, arts and culture nonprofits, retail, banking. What is good, everybody? This is Michael Zakan, your host and the founder and creator of Our Future. We are the go-to media brand and podcast for young professionals and entrepreneurs looking to unlock their future in context of our future. And today, we have an awesome guest for a careers episode and maybe an entrepreneurial episode on the back end with Mr. Pascal Savar Corey. He is an ex-Stanford student and he spent two years at McKinsey and Company and now he's going his own way, doing his own cut of the tree with his with his app Pay Finance, which is democratizing access to hedge fund style returns. So, Pascal, thank you for joining me, man. I'm happy we could get this recording back in. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So, where are you at right now? You're in Santa Barbara, right? Currently in Santa Barbara. Yeah, I was in New York at McKinsey before, uh, but then due to that, make move back home with my family. Currently living in Santa Barbara and probably planning on making the transition down to LA in the next few months. Okay, so you start. So you're you're born and raised Santa Barbara, uh, or you said you were born in Carmel. So then you lived in Santa mm-hmm. Barbara. Then you went to Stanford, obviously yep. an incredible place to be. And then you wanted to go to New York because you just wanted like a break from the California stuff. Yeah, well, so throughout college, I'd interned in Hong Kong, San Francisco, and New York. Um, and I mean, I loved all three of them. They're all great cities, but New York was just kind of the place that I gravitated to the most. So that's where I wanted to move after graduation. Okay, so you worked at McKinsey after Stanford. So I remember you told me how you didn't really land any offers in your junior year at Stanford, like you didn't get what you wanted to do done. So like, what would you say to someone who just like, isn't getting any returns on these offers? Like, what, what do you think they might be doing wrong? Like, what were you doing wrong when you couldn't land these consulting PM jobs, etc? Yeah, so I think my biggest thing, like, a false sense of arrogance, to be honest. Like I thought I was just kind of, kind of going to waltz into like getting a job at Google, Facebook, or McKinsey, and kind of getting rejected almost everywhere I, I applied. My junior year was really a wake up call to that. Basically, my entire junior year and junior summer, I started doing a lot of networking, talking to a lot of people who are in product management, in consulting, um, and really just understanding like what it took and how to position myself best. It, that kind of finally unlocked my ability to effectively put my best foot forward and then successfully land jobs at McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and Uber my senior year. That's a that's a crazy lineup right there. I think it's yeah. key. I mean, you, you probably thought, oh, I'm a Stanford kid. Like, I can just walk in. Like you said, I mean, it's easy to think yeah. that if you go to a top school. Um, you know, you go to Ivy League, you go to a Michigan, a Berkeley, a, a Stanford, mm-hmm, right? Definitely, you, yeah. You think you're set because companies just recruit from these campuses, but you do have to stand out amongst the other students on those on those college campuses. So yeah, McKinsey, really, I think 400 kids applied my year, my senior year to McKinsey, and 20 got jobs. So 20? even at Stanford, the acceptance rate was five percent. So it's like it's, it's pretty, pretty good, tough, though. no I, matter I where like you are. I feel like at other schools it's like one percent. So I, I honestly, yeah. that's that's a that's a darn decent kind of haul right there. <laughs> All right, so you landed these these awesome jobs. Um, let's just talk about consulting specifically, like the interview yeah. process. So you said, I think we, we talked before, and you said you did like thirty cases or thirty or forty cases. Yeah. Um, what resources? Like, what? Where would you point people? Like, was there a few books that you read or a kind of online resources that people could use to do the same? Sure. So yeah, if your school has a consulting club, definitely reach out to them because they'll typically have a bunch of case books that they can just send you. Like I got access to the Stanford Consulting Club, even though I wasn't in it, I got mm. access to their kind of case book repository, basically, which was just a Google Drive that they kind of shared with anybody who asked. Um, I think Cornell Consulting Club actually has it up on their website. They have a bunch of resources listed. So if you don't go to a school that has a like, you know, established consulting club, you can just Google that kind of Cornell Consulting Club or like other kind of consulting case uh, interview resources. And that's how you can get access to a bunch of practice cases to do. 
Um, and then I would say, actually, I learned a lot more from YouTube videos than I did from books, actually. Case in point is like the typical book that everybody tells you to read. But my view is that it's a little bit antiquated. Um, it was great like 10 years ago, but cases have changed a little bit. And I think they've gotten a little bit more creative and slightly less kind of structured in a standard way. So case in point is fantastic for kind of that old, very rigid way of doing cases, but sure. things have and changed a little Stanford. bit. So like, Vincent Chang went to Stanford as well, the guy who wrote that Yeah, book. Vincent Chang's a great resource as well. Yeah, I, I didn't know he went to Stanford, but that's that's cool. Yeah, he's a great resource. Bain actually has a bunch of great videos on their YouTube channel about kind of like practice cases and things like that. So I would say, obviously, that's huge. And then the other piece of it's your resume. Um, and that really is just kind of from, I would just, you know, get as much feedback as you possibly can from people who've successfully gone through the process or really anybody who successfully applied to a job before. Um, and, uh, and kind of, you know, if you can get them to help you, I was very fortunate that I had a lot of people to, to review my resume and kind of give me pointers yeah. along the way. It, it's interesting how you said you should, you hit up the consulting club, even though you weren't in it. I'm sure yeah. anybody, any college, any college kid probably has a consulting club on campus. You can mm -hmm. get those resources. We also did a, our future consulting career guide. So people can check that mm -hmm. out on our website, ourfuturehq.com. There's a banner at the top. Um, and you can click on our career guide, which includes interviews with, uh, 10 plus people, partners, uh, students who've gone through the process as well as entrepreneurs like yourself who started their careers at, at these companies. So what yeah, was it like cool. to, to go into, so you went, you moved out to the New York office, you got the job mm -hmm. at McKinsey. Was it, was it everything you were expecting it to be? What was the dress code like? I mean, was it, what, did you expect everyone <laughs> to be wearing a suit? Yeah. So the, the dress code, um, is definitely a little bit more relaxed than I actually thought it would be. Um, it, it's really dependent on your client. Like there are times when I had a client down in Florida that was a FinTech company and I would basically just wear like a collared shirt and I could wear jeans or chinos and like kind of whatever shoes that I wanted. Um, no jacket, no tie, nothing. I mean, it's very rare that you'll be able to be in an environment where you can get away with not wearing a collared shirt. Um, there were times actually I did work for fashion companies and there you can kind of, especially in the winter, get away with wearing some sweaters uh, and not having to wear a collared shirt as a result. But uh, then, you know, obviously if you work for like a bank or a law firm, they're going to expect you to wear a suit every single day. So it really depends yeah. on your client, but just like in the McKinsey office that's, on Fridays, it's pretty casual. That's what Steve Hoffman, he's a partner in the Chicago office. He's like the misconception. I know him actually. Like really he's, he's awesome. You know Steve Hoffman? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did it. We, he came on yeah. the pod and we did a live event with him. I'd like good attendance. Very cool. Yeah, he's and great. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was like, and that's another cool thing. Like you get to meet people from different offices, right? He's in mm -hmm. Chicago. You were in New York. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, we're not that stiff. Like, you know, it's kind of more like a tech company, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. um, I guess it was uh, one thing that people say about consulting is like a trial by fire. Like you're yeah. really just thrown onto these projects and you're expected to learn like a beast in like all these <laughs> industries. Um, so give us like a brief rundown of like the different clients that you had during your two years at McKinsey. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say specific names, but I can kind of tell you yeah. the industries and kind of the functions. So I did probably 16 projects though during my two years at McKinsey. So like it was definitely rapid fire, as you said, um, worked in fintech, telecommunications, airplane manufacturing, like healthcare analytics, arts and culture, nonprofits, retail, um, banking. I'm trying to think what else, telecom. Um, were, you were you spending hours just like reading journalism on those industries and like reports and shit or so, is it some other way of learning? Yeah. Luckily, when you typically roll onto a consulting project in a space that you've never really, you know, learned before. First off, I mean, there's like there's fundamentals of business that just kind of carry across all industries. But of course, there's also, you know, specific jargon um, and kind of certain dynamics that are specific to certain industries. And the really cool thing about McKinsey is that 
generally the partners, the associate partner, like someone on the team has deep domain expertise in kind of the area that you're working in. So they'll point you to a bunch of like McKinsey firm resources um, where you can kind of read up on, on the industry and then they'll be able to answer a lot of questions for you as well. So it's not just that you're entirely left up to your own devices. Like McKinsey kind of curates a lot of great information on all of these industries and a lot of these clients, especially if we've worked with them before. So um, that's a great way that you can kind of get read up and, and learn a little bit more quickly than you probably would otherwise. Yeah, hundred percent. So, I mean, was it, was it awesome just being like a young guy living in New York city? Like, did you feel like the, the young professional, like the American psycho guy? Like... <laughs> well, I definitely wouldn't compare myself to the American psycho guy. But... Dude, I don't know, bro. Like, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think my life was a little bit more normal than his, but <laughs> were you going to, were you going I to... wouldn't say one of my role were... models, but, uh... you... but yeah, no, I mean, New York was awesome. I, I loved it. Like, um, I definitely would still be there if it weren't for the pandemic. I mean, you know, I had a, a great social life and obviously consulting is a very rigorous job, right? Like oftentimes you're traveling Monday through Thursday. Yeah. Even if you're not, you're definitely working really hard. So you're kind of, you know, married to your job basically Monday through Friday afternoon. But the weekends are still yours most of the time. I mean, I only had to work probably two or three weekends during my time at McKinsey. So out of, you know, a hundred plus weeks that I was there, that's pretty great. good. That's great. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I loved it. Like, I love the nightlife. I love the bars. restaurant scene. Um, yeah, the bar the scene. Bars, like, it's an amazing city. I would highly recommend it. Were you going with your coworkers to all that, all those those places and stuff? Yeah, so I probably had like three or four distinct friend groups in New York, and one of them was definitely my McKinsey group. It was predominantly people who kind of started with me. Um, and then, yeah, after that, it was kids from Stanford who moved out to New York, kids from my high school. Actually, I had like 10 or so kids from my high school who I went to a boarding school, so we were all really close. Um, they moved out to New York and then I had others like kind of random people I'd met up yeah. with along, you know, along the course of my life who found themselves in New York after graduation too. Yeah. And you're a lot of Michigan you kids, went, <laughs> a lot of Michigan a lot of kids. Mi- dude, every Michigan kids <laughs> yeah. goes to New York to work in like consulting yeah. or, or investment banking, bro. So yeah, I mean, that's interesting. You go to a hub and then you get to like access friends from everywhere. Cause I went to a, mm-hmm. I, I was a day student at a boarding school and you were also at a, a boarding school, which is yeah. kind of the, the kind of similar school as your uncle mm-hmm. went to the school I went to. So yeah. um, it's interesting how you can get these friend groups that just end up in, say you're from California, like you just have these friend groups that end up in different places, right? If you go to a hub mm-hmm. city, like yeah. your friends, like just like, like go there. Um, mm-hmm. So that's cool that you had like a ton of social opportunities living the life. So um, we've been, we've been going the gamut here, but I do want to touch on kind of your vision for your current mm-hmm. startup, which is pay yeah. finance. And yep. your goal is to essentially, uh, make hedge fund returns accessible to, um, the common investors. So you're working on an app. Yeah. Um, so I mean, what, so what is the, the main problem, right? It's like that hedge funds are closed off, right? That's mm-hmm. they're, yeah. they're, why, why, why can't the average person get in bed with a hedge fund? And why wouldn't a hedge fund want to invite people in to, sure. to help them like, yeah. More? So I think there's a couple reasons, right? So, I mean, obviously the barrier to entry is that hedge funds aren't SEC regulated by the traditional kind of, by the same way that a mutual fund is. So they're only open to accredited investors, which means you need to meet a very high minimum income or net worth requirement. And then the other thing is that hedge funds have a limit on actually the number of investors they can have. So they're very incentivized to obviously maximize the account size per person so that they can make the highest fees um, and you know have the best business basically. So that's why hedge funds have historically closed off to kind of uh, you know everyone, and they don't want to open up because you know it's not fi- it's not in their financial incentive to do so. Um, but also there's there's some you know frustrations that come along with kind of being a mutual fund in the sense of like you know you have to get yeah. audited by the SEC quarterly and like talk about your your returns and everything. So hedge funds prefer to kind of be able to you know do whatever they want basically as well. So it's it's kind of a dual thing pay finance is essentially it is a hedge fund 
and then it's funded by the users of an app, which allow them to uh, get the returns of that hedge fund via kind of a vehicle like that. So would you be like yeah, the so, first hedge fund to ever do this? So basically, PAVE isn't exactly a hedge fund because we'll legally be a you know 40 act fund, which the most traditional type is a mutual fund, but we'll trade similarly to how hedge funds trade. So we're basically... I mean, as far as I see it, and I've done you know extensive competitive research, obviously, as someone who's starting a company, I don't I don't know of really any companies on the market right now which allow you to kind of simply connect through a mobile application easily, you know, connect your bank account or choose how much you want to invest and have your money actively managed, diversified across all four asset classes and algorithmically algorithmically driven the way that Pave will will uh, manage your money. And just like to give context, right? So we. Um, are currently our fund is live actually, but we're currently trying to get over the SEC, you know, regulation process. And unfortunately, that's very expensive. So we're currently in the process of raising VC funding to be able to get over that hump, and then we'll be able to launch to the general public. I'm excited, man. So where can people join your waitlist? Yeah, so payfinance.com is our website. We're also at payfinance across all socials. So feel free to check us out on Instagram, and TikTok, TikTok, you know, you're on TikTok. Are you the t- main TikTok guy behind all that? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm the, the guy who uh, who's in charge of all of our kind of marketing and growth strategy. So Good the shit. TikTok Good and Instagram shit. falls into my domain. And my co-founder has, a, you know, 40 years of experience in finance, 25 plus years of hedge fund experience. So he's the one who's the chief investment officer and is, is really in charge more so over the the algorithms and the, the you know, fun side of things. Yeah. But yeah, our waitlist is live at payfinance.com. So feel free to sign up. If you sign up, you'll get early access to our beta once we launch. So priority yeah. access, always a good thing. And the waitlist is entirely free and non-binding. So I would say go for it. Yeah, people are always looking for new ways to capitalize on, on the what's going on in the markets, man. I yeah, mean, now more definitely. than ever. And, you know, people want new vehicles and stuff. So I, mm-hmm. I could see it definitely working out. So yeah, this is also great it. for people who don't really necessarily have the time to invest themselves, but want to have their money yeah. managed for them. And this is a really low cost way to do that because we're only 1% annual management fee, which is way lower than a traditional hedge fund two and 20. Thanks for reaching out, man. I know that you, uh, you listen to a few of the podcasts yourself. Yeah, I'm a big fan of what you guys do over there at Our Future. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard from Pascal Savar Corey. He's a former Stanford student, a former consultant at McKinsey & Company, and now the founder of Pave Finance. Go check them out at the link in the description. Join their waitlist. It's a pretty exciting financial technology company that they're working on. As always, had a blast potting with you guys, and I really want you to do one thing, and that is to stay frosty everybody i'm out see you later